We've been in this series of messages called Together, and we're learning about uh, the power of community and how things really do change when we come together to do things together. And what we've learned so far is really important because we become more effective in learning when we do it together, learning who it is that God wants us to be. But we also become more effective in growing into that person when we do it together. And there's a reason for that, and it's because there's power in a team. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today, about becoming a team. And when we hear teams, you might think of a lot of different things. I think about athletics and we see it all the time, actually all throughout the year, because one season goes into the next. We deal with football and baseball and basketball and hockey and soccer, go messy, right? Or uh, any of these type of leagues that we have that you might be uh, involved in uh, that are important to you. The thing about those type of athletic teams are that they're teams. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport made up of individuals. And I want you to think about it that way because I want you to think about the church in the same way because the church is a team that's made up of individuals. One of my favorite uh, athletes, professional athletes, is a guy named Tua, and he is the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And uh, yes, I'm still a Bucks fan, all right? But Tua graduated from the University of Alabama. Now it's making sense, is it not, right? Uh, he graduated from the University of Alabama, but he is a really, really strong believer, a strong Christian, and he's very open about his faith. Even at press conferences, he'll talk about it. And I saw one of those press conferences recently where he was talking about God. And he said that, I don't pray that we win the game. He said, I pray that I do my best and that I live up to my potential so that I can work with other people and we can do something great together as a team. It was really amazing to hear him talk about that because I thought, yeah, that's really a great way to look at that. After all, what difference is a Super Bowl championship gonna make in the kingdom of God? I don't know. It sure is a lot of fun cheering for people along the way though, isn't it? I don't know. But our being able to do things together and support each other, no matter what we're involved in, does make a difference. And he gets it. I want you to understand something about us. We should be the same way as well. In fact, we should be praying that God would help us live up to our potential so that we, as we come together with others, can have the greatest influence together as a team of people. But I will say there's a difference. Y'all, we're in it to win it where he didn't pray for them to win the game because he understands an eternal perspective of a championship may not mean that much. We understand that we're in this to win it as a church. We wanna win. We want good to win over evil. We want love to win over hate. And good wins over evil when love is spread from person to person. And that's why we're a team. We're a team to help spread that love with those people who are around us. It's so important for us to do this. We also need to think about Christianity, that Christianity is not an individual sport, right? It's not an individual sport. We're always with someone. And you might say, well, Tim, that's really not true because there are times, even as a Christian, that I might be out by myself and I'm not with other Christian people with me and it's just me and I'm having to stand on my own. 
But the good news, y'all, is we are never, ever alone. We have a God who is always with us. If you're excited about that, say amen. Listen to what the scripture says in Deuteronomy. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We always have a team member with us and his name is God. But it's not just God. His son Jesus is always with us. In fact, when Jesus was building his team called the disciples and gave them their commission their calling to go out into the world and to do something, he made a statement when he did it. He said this in Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Listen to this last statement. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Y'all, it's not just God, Jesus is with us. But wait, y'all, there's more. The Holy Spirit is with us. God gives us the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus made this statement, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. If you're excited about that, say amen. Y'all, we are not alone. We're part of a team. You might not have another believer with you, but the spiritual entities are always with us of God, and he's the one who makes us strong. You know, I love this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that part of God that helps us understand who Jesus is. In fact, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to in the scriptures as the mind of Christ. So the Holy Spirit helps us to think like Jesus and to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Jesus was the physical embodiment of who God is to give us a picture of his love because God is love. In fact, the scriptures teach us this. The Apostle John, who I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks, is known as the love apostle, made this statement in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Listen to this, because God is love. Everything that our team, through God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what they are doing is they are there with us to lead us to be loved to humanity. That's what our team is doing with us constantly. God is love. Jesus is the example of what his love looks like, how we show that love. And his Holy Spirit helps us understand when we're showing love and when we're not so that we can get back on the right track. That's what we're to spread and to share with other people. I want us to think about what Jesus said to those disciples in Matthew 28, the scripture I just read to you, as he commissioned them to go out and do their work. Jesus really did develop a team. The disciples were a team. And this team of individuals would bring change in the world because they would go out and share the good news and they would develop teams where they went. And they would encourage people to begin sharing the message of Jesus. What Jesus did is he helped all of us understand something. As a team, we have a purpose. So on your outline sheet number one, let's start filling some stuff in. As a team, we do have a purpose. And in that scripture, in Matthew 28, he tells us what that purpose is. It's a threefold purpose. The first part of it is this, to go and to make disciples. It's not to be 
binge watch junkies on our lazy boys or beanbag chairs, right? It's to be out in the world, engaging the world. But what do we do as we go and engage the world? He tells us we're to go and make disciples. In other words, we are to lead people to be followers of someone. A disciple is a follower of someone. We are leading people to be followers of Jesus himself, the example of what love is. So how in the world do we do that? This is, as a team, as a body of believers, as a church, this is what we're supposed to do as our team. We're to go and to make those disciples. So how do I do that as I interact with people in this world? On your outline sheet, let's write some ideas about this. We lead them to know they are created by God. Every person that we come in contact with needs to understand that God created them, God loves them, and feels that they're special. Did you hear what I just said? God don't make no junk, right? We are all special and people need to feel special. And the way in which they feel special is how it is that they're treated. So how does God treat us? This is the awesome and amazing thing about God. God loves me so much that even in my imperfection, even in my failures, when I do things wrong, God still loves me. He unconditionally loves me. And the way I know he unconditionally loves me is because he sent someone to prove it to me and his name is Jesus. On your outline sheet, fill it in. We lead them to know who Jesus is. That Jesus, yes, is the example of who God is in love. What does God's love look like? It looks like someone going and meeting the needs of people who are hungry, who are sick, who have spiritual needs in their life, who are emotionally dealing with struggles in their life, who are dealing with relational problems with each other. That's what his love looks like because Jesus went from place to place to serve people who were in need. But that's not all that it looks like because Jesus came to do something for us. Jesus came to give us the gift that we all need. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago about Christmas and what the gift of Christmas is. Y'all, the gift of Christmas is forgiveness. Yes, Jesus is the gift of Christmas, but Jesus came to the earth for a purpose, and that purpose was so that we could be forgiven of the things that we do wrong. That Jesus came to take the punishment for the things that we deserve to be punished for. That Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins so that we wouldn't have to die on the cross for our own sins. Jesus showed love to us so that we could be forgiven. Y'all, that's the gift of Christmas. I want you to think about that, all right? Because it may change your perspective of Christmas this season. That means if I have somebody that I have been holding a grudge against and holding things against and wanting them to experience pain and agony because of something that they've done for me, the greatest gift I can give for them at this season is what? Forgiveness. In fact, we're not like Jesus and giving the gift that Jesus gave unless we become forgiving people like Jesus was forgiving toward us. That's how people know that they're loved that we can look past what they do and to see their heart and to know if their heart changes, things can be different for them. 
And it would cause us to be forgiving and cause us to reach out to them, to serve them, even though they don't deserve it. Why do we do this? We want them in the kingdom. Let's write this down. We lead them to know him personally by having a relationship with him. Not only do we help people know that, that Jesus is the example for us, but Jesus gave his life for us, but we need to lead people to, to accept what Jesus did for them. It's not enough to know that Jesus lived this great life and to know that he died on the cross and came back to life. All that is is information until we say he did it for me and I accept what he did for me. Y'all, when that happens, I have become birthed into the kingdom of God. You know who I am? I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. And guess what? Satan just lost. That's what this world is about. We're to be about leading people into the kingdom of God. Satan wants to keep us from doing it, but we are to be leading people into the kingdom. There's a second part, though, of that purpose, and it's to baptize them. I love this, y'all, because when I was putting the message together this week and knowing other parts that I had, you know, was going to talk about, it just, it resonated with me in a way that I really hadn't thought of it before. When we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what Jesus said in the scripture that we just read a moment ago. We baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Basically, what we're doing is we're saying to people, you're a part of the team. Right? When we're baptized, God's Spirit is with us always. Jesus is with us always. God is with us always. We baptize them to help them understand this is a symbol symbolizing that you're a part of the team. And not only are you a part of the team, but you're having the opportunity to, to do the first part of this purpose that we're talking about, to let people know that they can become disciples of Jesus. The very act of being baptized is an opportunity to share your story with other people who witness you being baptized. When you stand in the water, you're symbolizing physically, you believe Jesus died on the cross. When you're put under the water, you believe that Jesus was buried. He was buried, died, and was buried for your sins. And when you come out of the water, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that he came back to life. If you're excited about that, say amen, right? We serve a risen savior. So we're letting people know, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and he did it for me. I wanna tell you my story, he did that for me. But the other cool thing about it is, it, it really is kind of like an initiation into a group of people. When I was uh, in college, I was in a fraternity, I was a Sigma Chi, and um, we had an initiation that we went through. We did all this weird stuff, you know, no goats or snakes were involved, all right? Okay, just don't freak out. Um, but we did these, you know, things for initiation, and we learned our special initiation handshake of being a Sigma Chi. We've got a special handshake. I would show it to you, but again, I'd have to, I'd have to kill you, okay? So I can't do that. So, um, but we have this initiation. It's something only Sigma Chi's have gone through. And it's the same initiation that a Sigma Chi at the University of Alabama or the University of Miami or the University, wherever it is, we all go through the same initiation as brothers of Sigma Chi. It's something unique to us. Y'all, that's what baptism is really for us. It's something that we do that is unique to people who are believers of Christ. 
We've all done this. We do this to symbolize we all believe these same things and are in this together along with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And y'all, when you put a team together with those three, there is power. Amen? So I want to encourage you. It may be that you've not been baptized. I want to encourage you to be baptized and think about that if you're a Christian so that you can be a part of this you'll start feeling like a team. It'll change how you feel about the atmosphere, even of the church many times when you do this. But there's a third part of this purpose, not only to be baptized and to go and make disciples, but to teach obedience. And what he said was to be obedient to the commands. Now, obedience is really important, and the way we teach is through our example. We look to Jesus as our example, but we look to other people who are like Jesus to also be our example. So we need people who are living like Christ, who are saying the things that Jesus would say, doing the things that Jesus would do to be helpful to us to grow into becoming this disciple, to grow into following these commands. What are the commands? Y'all, we've talked about it so many times already. It's just a broken record big time. All the, I'm just not gonna go into great detail about it, but all the 10 commandments can be summed up in two commands, to love God and to love people. That's the reason why we have our mantra around here as a church, every day is a great day to love God and to love people and to do something about it. So what we're teaching people to do as a team, as a group, is to love God, to put God first above everything else, to worship God, for him to be most important. And the way we know he's most important is we love who he created. We love people. We minister to people. Do we meet people's needs? We are even willing, oh my soul, we are even willing to forgive people. And when we're willing to do this, they understand what love really is about. This is our purpose. One of my favorite uh, scriptures about being a team is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. The reason why it's important to do these things as a team, to fulfill this, this purpose as a team, is because, again, we're most effective in this way. Solomon, King Solomon, uh, was the one who wrote this book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. And King Solomon had spent much of his time separate from God. So his whole life was not committed to God. Much of his life was spent separate from God. And he wrote Ecclesiastes as a warning to people about what your life will turn into if you don't live for God. And it was really a warning to help them see how they could avoid pain and avoid this agony of life when we try to live without God because we become selfish and then there are bad consequences that happen to that when we become the people that we're not supposed to be. So he wrote the letter for this reason. So he goes through all this stuff and then basically he tells them, okay, this is, this is what life is all about. In fact, what he wrote can be summed up in this one verse. And I wanna read that verse to you. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It says, now all has been heard. Now I've said all this stuff. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. I mean, he simplified, he simplified life, okay? Life is about 
these two things. And the reason why it's so interesting to me is because we just heard Jesus talk about teaching people to obey the commands. And now in the Old Testament, here is Solomon, this wise guy, the wisest guy in the Bible, except for Jesus, all right? The one who wrote Proverbs and all of that. He's telling us this is what life is all about. So what does that look like? As a team, we need to live with something. On your outline sheet number two, it says it. As a team, we need to live with respect. The word that he used for respect is the word fear. So there's someone in particular that we're to respect. Let's write it down on our sheet. We are to respect God. We are to fear God. To fear him is to respect his power and to respect what he's all about. We should have such a respect for him that we want to make sure that we follow his instructions and we be who God created us to be. Why? Why do we respect him so much? Why do we respect him so much? Because he loves us, y'all, and we don't deserve it. When someone shows love to you and you know you don't deserve it, it is overwhelming to you because you have a sense of feeling valued from that person. The reason why we respect God is because God feels that way about us. We love him. So we don't obey him because we're afraid he's gonna zap us if we disobey the commands. We love him because we can't get over how much he loves us and we want to obey him. So that's what our team has to be about. Never forgetting about how much God loves us because it leads to respect. But what's the other thing? It was the command thing, right? This is how we show respect to God. We show respect by keeping the commands. That I put God first. The way I use my time proves that I put God first. The way I use my resources proves that I put God first. The way I talk proves that God is first. The way I treat other people proves that I put God first because I am investing myself in other people. So this is it. The team is supposed to love God and love people. Here's the big question. Are we? That's what the team's supposed to do. Are we? Now remember, a team is made up of individuals, right? You remember what Tua said? Tua said, and again, he said, I don't want to win. We do, right? But what he said was, I want to live up to my potential to be everything God created me to be so that we can make the biggest difference together, that we can do something great together. It's an important question because if we individually aren't loving God and loving people, we affect the ability of the team, and the team is important. And you know what? Solomon knew it. Solomon knew how important the team was. This is the scripture that's the favorite part of, of, of the scripture related to teamwork for me in the Bible. I love it. This is what he said about being a team. He said this in Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning in verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
We need to be people as a team who show God's love because these things are important to us as a team. What is love? I skipped over it. Let me help you fill in the blank so that you have no convulsions for the remainder of the message, all right? Love is a passion that leads us to protect, provide for, promote others in order to assist them in living up to their potential. So as a team, that's what we're supposed to be accomplishing to show that love. So what does it look like? In this scripture that I just read to you, he talked about the benefits of a team. So let's look at those. First of all, as a team, we accomplish more together. We accomplish more together. That's what he said in verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I'm really digging this as a leader because Solomon introduces a concept to us thousands of years ago that is still a very modern or very useful concept that we hear about today. Except today we've attached a name to it. We call it synergy. That's what we call it. Let me give you a definition of the word synergy. It's the interaction of elements. We can think of elements as people, all right? The interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements. In other words, we can do more together than we can apart. And when we do something together, the results become even greater. That's what it talks about. We can have two different types of results. I'm gonna feel very much like a, a professor or a teacher right now because, I'm sorry, I need my little pointer. But I found this in a book, it's one of my favorite books on teamwork. It's called The Performance Factor by uh, Pat McMillan. It was written years ago. But he put in that book the continuum of co cooperation and it shows what happens for, for a team. There's low level of cooperation, in other words, yeah, we are a part of a group of people, but we don't really do anything together. We really do our own thing. We don't do anything together as a team, low level of cooperation. And then there's a high level of cooperation where we're really working together to be able to do something and to accomplish something. This line represents results. So we can have one of two different types of results. First of all, let's go ahead and fill this on your sheet. We can have additive results additive results. So let's go back and look at the illustration again. We can have additive results. In other words, I go out and sell widgets as a salesperson. You go out and sell widgets as a salesperson and we add those two numbers together and that's the total number of widgets that we, that we sold. That's additive results, right? But what would happen if we did something together and decided, well, let's work together to see if we can sell more things. Now, let me just stop right here and, and say something. As Christians, we're not selling widgets, right? We're trying to reach people. And there are additive results on the, on, in the church because as I'm out living my life during the week, I may run across somebody that doesn't know God and I need to help them understand that God created you, that Jesus is there for you, that you can have a relationship with him. We already learned that. I individually need to do that by myself with the power of my team, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to talk to this person. You need to be doing the same things. You lead somebody to Christ, I lead somebody to Christ. These are additive results. But what happens if we come together and we decide, you know what, let's work together as a team and let's do something. Let's do something, I don't know, let's call it worship. Let's get a few people together who can lead in worship and put together this event that we call worship 
So there are a few people who put together this worship experience and then a thousand people show up on the weekend. A few people, and there's a thousand people that are a result because why? Some people work together to put something that we can invite everyone to come to and the result is much greater than what we could do by ourselves, right? I'll give you another example. Y'all, it's just so time sensitive. Fall a palooza, right? We could go out and say happy, you know, fall or whatever we say to people. I almost said Halloween, but that'd been satanic. All right, so I'm not gonna say that. Um, but happy fall, whatever we're gonna do. We could just go out there and say that and be happy. But we put things together and have a couple of thousand people who will probably show up tonight so that we can show the love of God to people. Why? Because a team of people got together and said, we're gonna do this together. That's called multiplied results, right? Let's go back to the illustration. Uh, it's way up here. It's synergistic results. That's who we are. So let's talk about this just for a second. There's something very spiritual that we need to, to learn about this. There are a lot of people who feel like I don't need to go to church. A lot of people feel that way. I don't need to go to church. But let me say something to those types of people. You are limiting what God has the potential to do by not going to church. Because you're a person, yes, with the power of God, his son and the Holy Spirit, but you're a person and God wants you to be a part of the body to come together to work with other people so that there can be multiplied results. By you choosing not to come to church, you are limiting what God wants to do through you. No pressure. Next thing. Number four on our outline sheet, as a team, we receive help when we stumble and fall. I need help when I fall down. The scripture talks about it. Again, we read this in uh, verse 10. If either of them falls down, one can help them up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Here's the deal. All of us fall. Let's write it down. What does it say? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the, of the glory of God. Here's what we know about this. If all of us fall, that means I need to be understanding of other people who do fall and not judgmental, which means I need to be forgiving. We need to be forgiving of people who do fall, which looks like this. I don't kick people when they're down. I help them get back up because I also fall and I don't want people kicking me when I'm down. I want them to help me get back up. How do these people help us? One way is they help us become self-aware. We need help seeing what caused us to stumble. It may be that I stumble and fall because I didn't see something that was affecting me in a negative way because I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't self-aware, but somebody else noticed it about my life and the temptation that was coming my way. They see something about me I don't see myself, and I need somebody to help me become self-aware. If I'm by myself, I can't become self-aware in areas that I don't see. So I need others to help me do this. What else do we need? We need help getting back up. I need to get back up. Y'all, there are a couple of things that have to happen for us to get back up. Here's one thing, let's write it down. We need to know that God forgives us. I need somebody to remind me 
look, you did something wrong. Yes, you shouldn't have done that, but God forgives you. You remember what God did by sending Jesus to die for all of our sins? That's for all of our sins, right? God forgives you of what you've done. But here's the other part of it. Sometimes I can hear that God forgives me, but I won't forgive myself. We need encouragement to forgive ourselves. We need people who are around us who say, stop beating yourself up. You can get back up, but you have to, forget your, you have to forgive yourself. Y'all listen to this. You don't get up until you've forgiven yourself. And sometimes we won't forgive ourselves until somebody encourages us to forgive us of ourselves. We need those people around us. Why? We need to grow. It's the last thing about this. We need help and being prepared so that we will not fall again. I need people around me who are going to help me in areas of weakness become better so that when temptation comes, I am even stronger and stand against it. But I need help to do this. So let me just ask you a question. Let's get spiritual about this again. What if you don't go to church? What if he's like, I, I don't need church? What if you don't go to church and you fall? It's just you. Yes, there's God, the Father, and Son, and the Spirit. I get that. I understand that. But God brings people around us to help us get back up. And you live in a world in isolation where you're stuck down. And that was never the way God intended it for you to be for you. So how can we do life? without being part of the church. We need the church, we need each other. Here's a fifth thing, as a team, we meet each other's needs. All of us have needs. In uh, verse 11 it said, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Let's write it down, all of us have needs. Every one of us have needs. It might be uh, a physical need, it might be an emotional need that I'm struggling with depression and anxiety or anger. It could be a social need that I'm having conflict with a family member or somebody else. Uh, it could be a mental need, I need to make a big decision about something and I need somebody to help me make a good wise decision or it could be a spiritual need, obviously, that we need God in our life. I love how Solomon used the physical need of warmth he talks about we need to be together because two can make each other warm. Y'all, I love that illustration, and here's the reason why. When our needs are met, we feel warmth. We feel loved. Oh, I've got a great idea. Let's write it down. Let's put it on our outline sheet. All of us need to feel loved. All of us need that sense and feeling of warmth. So let me just ask you again a question. If you say, I don't need church, I don't need to be a part of church, and you have a need, who's gonna meet your need? What if there aren't people there who are there to help meet your need? God established a way for us as a team to meet each other's needs, and we need to feel loved. We need the church. Y'all, this stuff will preach, will it not? Aren't you glad you're at church? I mean, think about those people that need to hear the message and aren't here. So why am I doing this, by the way? It's a really good question. Email it to whoever you'd like. Number six, as a team, we help each other face our opponents. 
As a team, we help each other face our opponents. This is how he said it. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need each other because we're stronger when we face a challenge. Again, we've learned this. We have an opponent. We have an enemy. Satan is our enemy. So let's write it down. We are under attack. Satan is attacking us. He wants us to lose. He wants us to, to, to not spread the love of God to other people. He doesn't want us to tell other people that God created them and loves them. He doesn't want us to tell people that Jesus died on the cross and did this for the greatest gift that we can receive in forgiveness. He doesn't want us to invite people to accept what Jesus did for them. He doesn't want us to do that. Why? Because again, every time someone comes into the kingdom of God, Satan loses. So what does he do? He does everything that he can to get you to stop thinking about other people and to cause you to start thinking about yourself. Because when he does, he can keep you from making a difference. This is his strategy. It's called divide and conquer. His strategy is to divide and conquer. Even in a church, it happens this way. If there's a church that's been effective, he wants to do everything that he can inside a church to lead people in a church, this thing that's supposed to be a team, to become self-centered and selfish and to think about themselves more than the other people on the team. That's what he wants to do. Because if he can get us divided, he can conquer the church, conquer the people. And it, it, it so easily happens because what happens is we begin thinking about what we like and what we desire what we want at the church. It could be something about worship. You know, I want worship this way. And y'all, we try to do everything we can to try to, to meet people's needs related to worship, whether it's more traditional or blended or modern. We, I mean, we do a great job in trying to do that. I get that. But some people look down at other people who don't like the same kind of worship style and they get kind of an attitude about that. They can be that way about them. Or there's some other ministry that they, that they don't appreciate. This is how you know Satan is working and is being successful in the church in his strategy of divide and conquer. This is what we hear. I don't like fill in the blank. We hear people start saying that in the church. I don't like, and then you can fill in the blank. Now, it's, it's one thing to say God doesn't like, all right? That's a totally different thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't like, and you fill in the blank. And here's the question that I would pose to you. When did it become about you? Because a team is not about the individual. The team is about who we are together as a body of Christ, right? That's who we're supposed to be together. That's who it is that's successful and makes a difference in the body of Christ. Here's another way that he does it, though, this whole divide and conquer thing. He works on something. On your outline sheet, fill it in. He attacks us using our ego. This is what he'll say. You don't need the church. You don't need to go to church. Now, I've just given you a lot of good reasons why we should be involved in church, haven't I? I, mean, I didn't do it. Solomon gave us great reasons why we should be involved in the church. This is what Satan does. If Satan can use our ego and make us think, I don't need other people, I can do this alone, he gets us separated from the pack, right? 
It's like sheep or the herd. He gets us separated from the herd and we're out there all alone. And if we're all alone, it's a lot easier to attack somebody by themselves than it is if there are two or three together who are working together to protect each other. Isn't that what Solomon just said? So it's no wonder that somebody who's trying to go it, agone, go it alone constantly finds himself giving them giving into temptation to do selfish things and finds themselves in positions where they are in misery and pain because of what they've chosen to do with their life. And that's not what God ever intended it for it to be. Don't you want to be a team who's changing the world? I need to pray and ask God God, help me to live up to my potential so that I can partner with other people so that we can have the greatest influence for you that we possibly can. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. I want to encourage you to pray a similar prayer today as that. It may be that everyone's right where they need to be today. I'm hopeful of that. I, I am hopeful of that. It might be today that, hey, you're here at church today. I'm so glad you're here at church today. But if you were honest about church, it, maybe it's not the priority level that it should be. And um, you come once every two or three weeks or once a month or whatever it may be because other things become more important or something that you'd like to do. I, I would just like to, just to encourage you to think about the commitment that you have to, to your calling of who God called you to be as a follower of Jesus. That's what we're all doing, helping each other being followers of Jesus. But again, I would just pray. I, I would just encourage you to pray and ask God, God, help me to live up to my potential so that what we can do together will have a greater influence for you. It may be today that you're not a Christian. Today you heard the message of the good news that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. We all do things wrong. We know God loves us because he sent Jesus to us to give us a way of forgiveness. But we have to accept what Jesus did for us so that we can become a disciple, a follower of Christ. If that's you today, if you're not a Christian and you want to make that decision to give your life to Jesus, we want to invite you to do that today. We have down in the front some of our staff. They're stretched out in front of the stage here. Just come and let them know, I want to become a Christian. Just tell them that. They'll know exactly what they need to do to talk with you, to help you make that commitment. If it freaks you out too much to come in front to do that, back in the back, in the corner, to my right, to your left, there are some banners that say the journey begins wait till after the service. Just head back there. We have some of our counselors back there. Just let them know, hey, I, I, I want to become a Christian. They just like to talk to you just in a different environment over there where maybe it's not as uncomfortable for you. We want to encourage you. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you a devotional book to help you as you begin your walk with Christ. Head back there. We'd love to do that. It may be some of you today have never been baptized and I want to encourage you to be baptized. I really do believe it will change your perspective and your feeling about being part of the team. That we've all done this together, that it's a reminder that God the Father, the Son, and Spirit are with me always. But we're in this together uniquely to be examples for Christ. I would encourage you to do that. If you want to be baptized today, back there in the corner, the Journey Begins area. Just That's a great place for you to go. You head back there and let them know that you'd like to do that. 
or you can stop by the guest information center out in the lobby. You can also talk with them about it out there. I want to encourage you to be honest with God about where you are as a member of the team. Just ask God to help you be the one that he wants you to be as you become obedient to him.